Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. I'm Kate Norris. I'm Thomas Craft. And we're here to help you plan, design, and deliver your best presentation. Hey, bosses, it's episode 93 of the show, and today we have a guest expert interview. Still working out what that name is. Uh, <laughs> We almost have a repeat guest on. Uh, back in episode 76, we did a speech breakdown of Anthony Mativier's TED Talk, and I did have him briefly on to talk about the process of being coach for a TED Talk and the TED Talk itself. But Anthony is known as the memory guy, and as we've talked about a little bit in the past few episodes, is most people's biggest fear on stage is pulling mental blanks, forgetting what they were going to talk about. So we thought, hmm, here is two things that ought to come together. The memory guy who's given a TED talk and people's fear about going blank on stage. So I really enjoyed this conversation. As always, we do come up with a list of questions that we want to ask our guests because we, you know, research them and well, often we follow them obsessively. Um, but we know what we want to ask them before we actually get to the interview. But with Anthony, I found that I went off script a lot because I was just so interested in what he had to say. And I just wanted to kind of keep diving into what he was saying. So we didn't fully follow the script, but it was still a really interesting conversation. It's always clear to me that Anthony loves this stuff philosophy and the memory thing he always gets uh, quite deep into it because you've never met him before and I kind of I yeah. kind of knew what we were getting into which was Anthony brilliance he went really deep really quickly with a lot of subjects again as tends to be the case I feel like we could have spoken to him for like three four five hours and just kept recording but but at some point you probably do want this episode to come to an end yeah <laughs> so let's play that conversation but before we do Kate why don't you tell us a little bit more about Anthony Mativier all right as a best-selling author, Anthony is the founder of The Magnetic Memory Method, a systematic 21st century approach to memorizing foreign language vocabulary, dreams, names, music, poetry, and much more in ways that are easy, elegant, effective, and fun. Anthony writes his books and creates video courses for a variety of people who need help with a number of different memory needs. What separates Anthony from other authors on memory skills and development is that he doesn't focus on long strings of digits or training for memory championships. He offers simple techniques for memorizing the information that will change your daily life. There's no hype in his training, just techniques that work. So welcome Anthony Mativia to the Presentation Boss podcast. Thank you for having me. So Anthony, we've heard your official bio and I would love to know, I've not personally met you, but I know Thomas has, but I would love to know who is Anthony outside of being the memory guy? Oh, well, outside. I'm not sure I get to be outside because I'm so interested in memory that everything touches it. You know, I play music, yeah. which is a memory thing. I read fiction and write fiction, which is a memory thing. So I don't know that there is an outside of the screen of consciousness where I'm not the memory guy, because I'm not sure I met anybody who isn't a memory person. But due to my profession, it's just like I don't go on vacation or anything like that. <laughs> just, no, it's just enough. kind of a, a constant, constant concentration on this topic, which is a, a blessing with no curse. What sort of music do you play? Do you play an instrument? Yeah, I play bass primarily, bass guitar. Cool. And I range from Bach, which I've memorized quite a few cello pieces of his, wow. and complicated progressive thrash metal. So <laughs> I'm all over the place. A little country and Western from time to time too, but uh, those are my bipolar extremes. Well, I really like that. Um, and what about fiction? What genre do you read and or write? I really like the fugue genre, 
where you know there's some sort of well it's typically a self-referential metafiction that refers to itself in some sense so you know movies like lost highway or mulholland drive by david lynch where they are about themselves and Mm -hmm. so in fiction if you read stuff like christopher priest who wrote the prestige uh, which became a very famous movie that christopher nolan did and even even Tenet, which is the more recent Christopher Nolan movie, is highly self-referential and highly influenced, I think, by Christopher Priest. So I write stuff like that where it's um, not entirely clear that it's is it fiction or is it philosophy? I mean, it's just kind of pointing itself at itself, and then you play a game to figure out what it means. Uh, it's an enigma genre, I guess, is what you would call it. Okay, cool. Uh, is that Inception? Is that part of all of that? Yeah, The Inception would be mm-hmm. another movie. And I'd say that too is very highly influenced by Christopher Priest. And we only can make a, a firm designation like that because we know that uh, Nolan directed one of Christopher Priest's novels. And so I think it's just really deep. Anyway, unfortunately, Christopher Priest is not nearly as well known as he uh, should be. And we have Christopher Nolan to thank for that because Nolan suppressed the novel tie-in during the release of the prestige so that nobody would be able to figure out the mystery of the movie before that they saw it um, or very few people would be able to i didn't realize That's it was so a... scandalous <laughs> <laughs> i told you kate that you'd like anthony with his like super deep interest in what i would consider quite sort of niche interest i mean mm. the thrash metal makes sense because anthony's got a bit longer hair it kind of just fits right <laughs> well actually the best musicians have short hair in that genre but <laughs> <laughs> you know Gilles Deleuze, the French philosopher, said the war against cliche is a terrible thing. So I'll forgive you for that. But um, <laughs> it's um, the world is so much more interesting and rich and and mysterious than we think when we peel back behind appearances, which is part of what the enigma genre is all about, yeah. is is causing us, triggering us to look behind the appearances because everything is self-referential at the end of the day. It must be. Otherwise, how would you be able to process your own consciousness of yourself without reference to the idea that you have one? <laughs> I love it. I love it, Anthony. Why don't we loop back to memory a little bit? Um, so you said you're, you're never outside of the memory guy. I assume there must have been some journey or story behind how you ended up becoming the memory guy. Well, yeah, there is. And um, deep and dark stormy night kind of story where I was studying for my dissertation uh, or my PhD and I had to write a dissertation, didn't know what I was going to write on. I was very depressed in the clinical depression sense, been hospitalized for it, yada, yada, yada. And it just like in a movie, all of the bad things kept stacking up. So not only was I depressed, but it was winter in Canada. One of those bad winters where the snow was so high, the government was thinking about calling in the military to help clear the snow. And then I get a letter that my student loans are going to come due years in advance of actually graduating. I mean, I had three years to go or something, and then I was going to have to get a job to pay back the loans. And I can't read a sentence at all. Like I just can't concentrate and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So I started uh, evading life. And um, some of those um, evasions I talked about in that TEDx that you were so Mm. kind to help me with. And um, I got into even darker places (laughs) because of evading life. But I did find one bright light, which is without getting too deep into the actual circumstances, I ran into some magicians and they showed me a trick, which triggered a memory because I used to be really involved in magic when I was a younger kid, like in grade two, I was doing magic tricks for show and tell. And so I grabbed their deck of cards. I did a trick for them. And that 
triggered a whole thing where I started to study magic more seriously. I had no idea just how sophisticated magic was. And in that study, which I was using to evade life, I came across the uh, holy grail of magic tricks, which is called, called any card at any number. And that's when you say the name of a card and the number that that card should appear in the deck. Lo and behold, the magician does some things that you may or may not perceive. And that card is at that number. Now, one of the ways to do that is to memorize the order of a stack of cards. And you, through various nefarious means, do not reveal that you have that deck in any particular order and you can appear to shuffle it and put the card in that place that has been named and numbered. So I thought this is impossible. I can't read a sentence of French philosophy. Biblical Hebrew is driving me mad because I can't focus you know, for three seconds, let alone on the gematria. And uh, I thought a deck of cards, no way, this is impossible. Yet, lo and behold, I was able to memorize a deck of cards. And I instantly thought, if I can do that, I can put French philosophy and Hebrew on cards and memorize it the exact same way. And I became a little bit interested in all, all that, how that worked. And then I started to feel better as I was doing the practice. Now, it's not an antidepressant and it's not a cure for depression. However, I found in the years since through research by people like uh, Dr. Tim Dalglish that actually there are mental health benefits from memory training, particularly using a technique called the memory palace. So he's shown a lot of success in helping people with PTSD and other sorts of issues that would affect your mood and getting a lift out of it. So I got confidence anyway, and I got back to life and I got back to studying and I went and I sat for my three exams that are involved in a PhD at my program in Canada. And, you know, the rest is history. I graduated, got a Mercator research grant, went to Germany, learned German, and uh, through other mysterious and strange circumstances, wound up writing a book that taught these techniques some years after that. And uh, that book hit a nerve and it has kept me teaching these techniques ever since. Yeah, right. So I'm interested in, there's clearly a difference because um, you, you just mentioned there that you learned German. Hmm. There's obviously a difference between learning a set of cards and the order that they come in where you've got no, um, I guess, distraction, whereas a language you've got to respond and apply that memory. There's a, there's a difference there, yeah? There is and there isn't. So the reason why there's a difference is something we could talk for hours about which has to do with morphological, you know, manifestations of grammatical constructions uh, as you're producing a language, right? But that sounds like another language. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. We probably better not get started. But um, the, the reality is, is that the memory techniques don't care what the information is. Your brain doesn't care. Your neurons don't care. Only the ego cares. So the ego can say, yeah, look at all this stuff about cards and language being different. But from a memory perspective, it's not different. All information at some fundamental level is precisely the same. And it's precisely the same because it's positive and negative electrons flowing through synapses in your brain, right? So if you can just take a bunch of German words and you memorize them, and then you memorize a bunch of German sentences, then it's not any different than a deck of cards. But, but the key difference is, is that you're not going to speak playing card sequences, right? But the fact that words appear in different arrangements in different orders is exactly like sequences of playing cards in many, many ways. So it's, a, it's, a, it, it's, it's got more similarities than differences at the end of the day. Right. This is like simultaneously so theological based and also scientific at the exact same time. It's, it's, um, 
memory is the most perfect science in many ways mm. because it is very black and white. You either remembered it or you didn't, and you can test it on those grounds. And science, of course, is not a thing. It's a process. It's a process that we use to ask questions and gather data. And those, that data confirms or denies the questions that we ask. It validates them. So it's also a perfect uh, science in that regard because you learn the techniques and you apply them and you get data back. And you say, well, heck, I did memorize these playing cards or I did memorize this vocabulary or I did memorize this sentence. And um, you, you just get data. And if you didn't, then you can say, well, what went wrong here? And you have data that helps you correct. So it's, it, it is the perfect science in so many ways. I'm sure, Anthony, you, you've come across plenty of folks who say they have a terrible memory or black and white don't remember things. Why do you think people struggle with, with memory or recalling important information at the right time? Mm. Well, I have a terrible memory too. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, there's nobody who gets away with having a great memory unless they train it. And then the training means nothing if you don't use it. Think about a martial artist, right? A martial artist who's got all the black belts from five different martial arts, if he's in a or she's in a convenience store and gets clocked sideways, they're not going to be able to use their techniques, right? Because they weren't paying attention. So what is your special martial art worth if you're not if you don't have field awareness that prevents you from getting hit in the head, right? And this is why most people don't remember stuff. They're not paying attention to the field that surrounds them. And we have so few seconds to, to, uh, to grab what's there. So a huge part of memory training is actually training what's called procedural memory and specifically the procedure of paying attention. So, uh, Kate, you haven't seen it, but Thomas has seen me memorize all the names in a room. And, um, the way that I do that, yes, I use special memory techniques, but technique number one is just to pay attention. <laughs> it's just, if I don't do that, there is no point to the rest of the techniques. Listen to everybody's name when they introduce themselves type of thing. Listen to their name, but then also listen to my own mind, creating the associations. And then as you and I know, Thomas, I did meet you some months afterwards in an elevator. And I was just like, what the heck is this guy's name? And I had to go through a little process where I shut up my own voice so I could pay attention to the techniques that I'd used to bring back that association. And it's, it's hard. It's actually the most challenging thing because you have to get out of your own way. So just like the thing, are cards and languages different? Well, your ego makes it different. And it's the same thing with memory training. If you let your ego get in the way, you're just going to have more struggle than anything in the world. But if you can silence that and really pay attention to everything that's going on or as much as going on as possible, including your inner self, then the techniques work so much better. And so a lot of the training is getting yourself to get out of your own way because you use these techniques all the time. You're just not necessarily aware of it. Right. So I, don't, I hope I'm not connecting like irrelevant things here, but is that why you, if you're trying to think of someone's name, you know, like you're thinking of an actor's name or something, and then you wake up at like two o'clock in the morning and you've thought of it because you've lost that conscious part it's when you're sleeping. Like you're switched off. Mm. Can be. Yeah. There's um, a process called diffuse thinking where, you know, the pressure is off and the molecules can bounce around much more freely. And that sort of leads to aha moments or, or things of that nature. So that, yeah, that's absolutely part of that. Or, you know, creativity is related to this where you're in the shower, hot shower and or a cold shower for that matter, <laughs> or you're out for a walk and the dots just connect. Right. And that's because mm -hmm. the pressure is off. So just imagine 
you know, waltzing into a room like I've done many times and allowing the pressure to be off, even though it's on, and you just memorize all the names. Or if you're giving a speech and you lose your spot, number one technique is let the pressure off first, mm. then, you know, whatever memory techniques you used totally. or whatever, um, because if your ego is in the way, I mean, it's, this is Bruce Lee 101, no ego, no enemy, right? So uh, if you can be in that sort of be water, my friend, kind of <laughs> looseness and flexibility, you, you, your, your memory is going to work much better, even without special techniques. Yeah. Right. So Those if we let's bring this back to speaking, um, as is the purpose of our podcast, <laughs> um, I'm just so interested in, in this, like the theory of memory. So how do you see the skill of memory and the skill of speaking um, overlapping? Well, obviously, if you're going to speak, you're going to be doing some drawing upon your memory. Even if you don't memorize a talk, you're going to have mm. pretty significant demands on your memory because you're going to be monitoring the room, thinking about what it is you want to say, uh, and so on. So really, there's kind of like three ways that I give talks myself, which is just to make stuff up, basically based on some <laughs> some loose idea. Uh, then the other way is to have a very loosely memorized structure. So uh, I mean, Thomas has seen all of these. He's seen me just like show up and talk, <laughs> basically making it up as I get there. I think I've and seen everybody seen... do that, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then you've seen like a, a little slightly more structured thing where I am following some sort of plan. And I do it in a way that's like kind of goofy, which is I have some acronym that I've cooked up to, uh, to guide my own talk. And then I just basically follow the acronym, which I've written on the board for everybody to follow. So that's a very simple memory technique. You don't have to share the acronym that you come up with, but if you do it, why not? Because it helps your audience remember what you're talking about as well. And then the other thing is to memorize things word for word and stick to the script as much as you can. And, um, you just got to try to try to decide which is right for you. And I would suggest experimenting with all three um, relative to the appropriateness of the, of the talk and the audience. So memory is going to be involved in all of them. And I, I really don't think that, that there's some special hierarchy. It really just comes down to what is your intended outcome and what is going to help you achieve it uh, in choosing those. But memory will always be involved in a talk. And you want your audience to remember what you're talking about above all, right? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, in many ways, if the audience is left having remembered nothing, it's almost like the talk never happened. Right. Or they remember the wrong things, which can happen for all kinds of reasons, um, which is also not necessarily great, although that's hard to control. I, I think I think a lot of the advice, like when I was working with you with the TED Talk, and it's often our advice when working with clients is rather memorizing word for word, because if you, if you ever forget one of those words or a sentence, it can be really hard to sort of put your talk back on the rails in that in that pressure moment, we often talk about memorizing the flow and the sort of the way the presentation moves. If you're speaking on any sort of regular basis, what are some some ways or what's uh, some techniques that you would recommend to help people to memorize or rem better remember the flow of their talk? Right. Well, I mean, flow often comes from some sort of verbatim structure, right? Uh, so I would consider what we're me what we mean by flow. And so one thing you could consider is having milestones. So even if you're not doing it verbatim as such, you could have particular things that are verbatim that you're going to hit at particular moments so that if you do get off track, you have a, you have these touchstones or milestones that you need to go past or flags that you need to hit. Um, which is where when I have an acronym that I use, I'm not, I haven't memorized anything verbatim, but I'm going to talk about 
uh, something that's based around an acronym, then that acronym, I know I, no matter what, I have to go from this point to this point to this point. And no matter what happens, no matter what questions come up or interruptions or deviations from form, I'll, I have to go to the next one. So that's a, a good way to, uh, to keep that forward flow and have anchors. Uh, but now that I've done it and memorized a, a speech verbatim, I really like that because that, that has its own special kind of flow. Uh, and it's structured in a, in a way that is designed to have flow. So that's a rhetorical consideration as well. And um, the beauty there is because in my TEDx, I did get derailed. People laughed at the wrong time. I mean, in the dress rehearsal, they laughed exactly where they were supposed to laugh. And in the actual situation, they didn't. And I did get a little derailed and I had to do exactly the, the thing is go into my mind. What, what is I saying? And then find the exact word and then, and then keep going. It was like, you had to start the engine again. So I think really one way or the other, it comes down to having something set in stone as a, as a, a point or a flag or a, a milestone along the journey. So I'm really interested in that because that is something that um, a lot of people say is that they get stuck. And then you just said that you had to, you know, just kickstart again and Restart continue them. on. What is that skill? How do you practice that skill? Well, practice is from being in the situation. I mean, there's no real way to practice being a deer caught in headlights. You've just got to be a deer <laughs> caught in headlights and yeah. then see what's going to happen. But if you, if you were to practice and prepare, this was something that Thomas suggested to me was just to walk with your speech, walk around. Right. And in some sense, you're just giving yourself endless distractions to deal with. So in my case, I memorize the talk and I'm walking around and I'm saying it out loud and uh, there's traffic around, there's interesting things to look at, there's sudden weather changes, all kinds of stuff. Right. And so that's a great way to be able to still deliver, keep forward momentum while being in an environment that is inherently distracting on purpose. I know uh, from the memory training world, John Graham, who was the 2018 USA memory champ, he um, inspired me a lot to start listening to heavy metal while memorizing cards as a, a purposeful way of creating obstructions. So the analogy there was like doing push-ups with a concrete backpack on, right? To, to make it harder. And then you're, you're not going to have that in the real situation. So theoretically, the real situation becomes much easier because there's no obstruction. So, you know, you could practice giving your speech while you're listening to, to heavy metal or something, some music you don't even like really loud or, or something like that. Um, and, you know, practicing recording yourself and listening to yourself is also another good thing to do. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot more, but ultimately the, the biggest thing is just to get out there and speak and feel what it's like, breathe, there's nothing wrong with taking your time to find your way back and then, and then carry on. Yeah. There's some really good tips in there. I think. You mentioned before the memory palace, I assume that you very deeply understand the memory palace, right? I, I, I'm always working on understanding it. Yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like I've heard, I've heard it mentioned and, and spoken about as a way to memorize a talk, walking through rooms and whatever, but I just, I honestly don't get it. I can't make it work. I don't, I think I don't understand how it works. Is it something you would recommend for talks? And if so, talk to me about a memory palace. What is it? How do I use it? How do I do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, one way to decide is just watch my TEDx and see if you think that that works because I was using the memory palace. Uh, And if you like that, then, you know, you might want to do that. I think that it has a little bit of a danger of sounding a bit stilted, um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not the best critic of myself. Uh, 
So that's for other people to consider, but definitely consider using them and give it a try once you understand it. The whole, our speech is inflected by the memory palace tradition. The whole thing that we say in the first place and in the second place, that comes from the memory palace tradition because the Roman orators, when they went up on the stage and they said, in the first place, I would like to point out, they're referring to the first place in their memory palace. And not only that, but we think, we're not sure, but we think that their audiences also use that as a signal for them to memorize the point. Here's my point coming. It's in the first place in my memory palace, so stick it in yours, right? Which is a very interesting audience speaker uh, construct. Now, I don't know that that's true, but that's what some people think. But we do know that the actual saying in the first place comes from the memory palace tradition. And that's exactly what it is. So in my TEDx, there is a first place, and that's where the imagery was placed for me to remember how the heck that I was supposed to open my own talk. And then in the second place is the next sentence and the third place and so on. And I think overall, there's, I, I, I never counted it, but there's uh, probably maybe 38 to 50 places or something like that. Um, kind of depends on how you count. <laughs> so there's no point in counting it because the number doesn't really matter. But in any case, it's a number of places strung together and that's how it works. So what you do is you take a location that you're familiar with, you use some strategy, which I teach and we can get into the nuts and bolts if you want. Um, and by using that strategy, you create the memory palace in what I would call correctly because there are many incorrect ways that just confuse people. And unfortunately, a lot of people learn these techniques from, no, well, not unfortunately, but it just happens to be the case that many people learn these techniques from memory competitors. And memory competitors use memory techniques for memory competition. And so that may be where you learned it. And that may be why it makes no sense to you for a speech, uh, because I don't know many, many memory competitors that give speeches, although there are some, and um, I've talked to them and they say they definitely use the memory palace for their speeches because when push comes to shove, you want it to be tip top. Yeah. Uh, in any case, um, yeah. So you build this journey, you build it what I would call correctly, and then you use it correctly because this is another thing that people don't do with the memory palace technique is they don't actually use it properly. And that's largely because they're taught by people who use the techniques to win competitions and then forget everything that they memorized five minutes after whoever takes away the medals. Uh, and the losers obviously forget what they memorized even faster because uh, they're not going to be on you know, some talk show the next night. <laughs> There's a famous case where one person won the World Memory Championships and forgot the name of the host, even though he just won the memory championship. So, you know, these That's techniques, <laughs> learning them from memory competitors is not always a winning strategy, um, although it is still quite a good thing to do. Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's what it is. It's just a familiar location. And then you put in some images and you uh, use them correctly. And then you won't forget your speech. It'll be very hard for you to memorize, to forget your speech if you uh, use it to memorize it, quote unquote, correctly. My understanding is it's just a very detailed visual um, version of what you talked about before about the milestones and maybe the acronyms. You just kind of fill in, in a lot of that, yeah. those gaps, I guess. The problem is, is that it doesn't have to be visual and oh, okay. to, to make it visual is missing the richness of the technique. So 
It is kinesthetic. It is auditory. Yes, it is visual. If you even can visualize, and some people can't because they have aphantasia, which means the lack of a mind's eye. It's emotional. It's conceptual. It is olfactory. It is gustatory. It is spatial. And it is probably a bunch of other things that I'm not aware of or don't use, but I mean, it is multi-sensory. That's the, that's the point. And if you're not using it in a multi-sensory way, then you're probably struggling and you probably won't even understand it as much as you could if you did make it multi-sensory. So walk us through maybe like, I've not used a memory palace before. So give me the beginner level of, I've got a talk coming up. It's only a short talk. Um, how, how do I go about utilizing a memory palace? How do I build it and then use it? Well, write a great speech, first of all, which I'm okay. sure you will. <laughs> and um, what you want to do is, here's how it's usually taught. Usually people say, start at your front door of your home and oh, then yeah. move inward. Now, there's two problems with that, at least. First of all, why the heck should you use your home? I mean, you could use your office. You could use a church. You could use a library. You could use the movie theater, etc. Does it have to be your home? No, this is... This is a weird thing to do. They usually say that because, you know, people tend to be familiar with their homes, but a lot of people don't even like their homes and they don't like their family that's in there. It's just like <laughs> filled with all kinds of distracting. I'm not kidding. I mean, unfortunately, that's just the case. And all the more so with all the lockdowns, I'm sure that home is the last place you would want to use as a memory palace because you're there all the time. And I say that um, knowing the tragic comedy of that statement. But the reality is, is you shouldn't necessarily use your home. This is just... This is just a bizarre su suggestion. There's many, many possible locations. And starting at the entrance leads you to a dead end. So why would you do that? Why not start at the dead end? So this is what I suggest, is that people pick a place that they are as neutral as possible to. They don't have any profound like or dislike of it. It's just a structure. It's a blueprint. Take it or leave it. So your work maybe is not good, but maybe it is. Maybe you're just indifferent to your work. So then you think in your work, where is the dead end if there is one, right? Because sometimes they have multi exits. Don't overthink it. Just think, you know, if I was going to lead myself to a dead end in this building, where is that dead end? And then you try to move yourself out towards the exit. Now, this solves a lot of problems. First of all, it gives you more places to assign later when you're done with that building. And also, so many people have, well, what if I run out of space, which is memory palace scarcity. And other people get claustrophobic in their minds, right? Because they're running out of space and it's just all kinds of psychological issues can come. But if you leave that open-ended, even if you're not going to add anything on, then you free yourself from all kinds of problems. So that's what I would do. And the other thing too is I would recommend that people not try to visualize this. Draw it. Just draw out some simple squares. You don't have to be an artist. So many people email me, well, I don't know how to do this because I'm not an artist. No, no, no. It's squares, you know, uh, on paper. And um, then what that lets you do is it lets you get a little analytical, lets you strategize the best possible journey. Because what ends up, uh, what a lot of people end up doing if they don't hear this instruction or this suggestion you wind up crossing your own path. You wind up leading yourself into weird areas that you know cause issues. But if you think, how can I make this as linear and logical as possible? And more importantly, how can I make this so that I don't have to think about it? Because it's a memory palace. That's the whole point. You remember it automatically. Not, how am I going to memorize my journey through this? But what's the most brain-dead obvious journey from here to there? And what would be the most brain-dead obvious stations along the way? that I don't have to memorize. Because if I go from my bedroom, I'm gonna naturally hit this hallway. And then I'm gonna naturally hit this wall between 
you know, the living room and the kitchen. And then I'm going to have this kitchen and then I'm going to have the hallway and then I'm gonna go out the door. Right. And then there's going to be the elevator. And then you just don't have to think about it because that's how you would naturally walk. Because if you have to memorize the memory palace, it's not a memory palace. It should just be in your memory already. Right. So that's how you would do that. And I'll tell you, this is the key game changer. Nothing that you do in a memory palace should require you to memorize anything. So if I'm going to memorize your name, Thomas Kraft, I'm not going to think, okay, well, what do I have to come up with for this? No, I'm just going to think about Tom Cruise and I'm going to think about Kraftwerk, the German band, and the, mean, the, I, the notion that Kraft means power in German, which I just happen to know. But if I didn't, I would still think of Kraftwerk because you don't have to be German to know that. But I might think of Kraft dinner or whatever, right? And those things are beautiful because I don't have to create them. I don't have to memorize something special to do it. I just look at T and K and I think Tom Cruise throwing Kraft dinner at, um, you know, a Kraftwerk album or something like this. And then that's how I'm going to memorize it, you know? And that's exactly what you do with your speech. Whatever your speech comes up with, you just look at the letters of the words and you think, okay, so, you know, once upon a time, well, oh, I had a friend named Owen and uh, he likes Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't start with once upon a time, but whatever, it's a fairy tale. So, you know, Owen is uh, going to throw the letter A, which is an apple at, uh, you know, a clock once upon a time, this sort of thing. And um, you, you might think, well, where's the image for upon? Well, often you don't need an image for every single word because the logic, and again, this comes back to the question of playing cards and language learning. The logic of the language often helps you fill in the blanks. And that's how you do it. Now there's exercises to make sure that you instantly have an image for every letter of the alphabet. And um, they take a very short period of time. I revisit them myself uh, about two to three times a year. And I certainly revisit them before I memorize a TEDx so that I have a pool of associations just popping uh, to the surface because it's um, kind of like doing skipping before you go to a boxing match or something like that. You know, you get yourself loose and limpid and ready to go. Does that help answer the question? Oh, that helps me. Does that help you, Kate? I think so. I think um, what I didn't get confused by, but I think maybe overwhelmed by was, you know, if you've got a, a speech with a thousand words, even memorizing half of them, that's 500 things that you have to come up with. No, but that's the thing. You don't have to come up with them. They're already in your memory. Tom Cruise mm. and Kraft Dinner are already in my memory. I didn't have to come up with them at all. That's the magic of the technique. That's why evolution has caused it to be passed forward for thousands of years is because there's no work involved. The only people who have work are the ones who have an ego that is between them and just understanding this technique and practicing it. There is no work. If it's work, somebody has taught it incorrectly or you've been a poor student. And sorry to point my finger at poor students, but you know, let's be frank, there are some <laughs> in the world um, and we do our best to, to bring them along. Uh, and I don't mean to sound arrogant, forgive me if I do, but you know, this is uh, a martial art of the mind and you're in the dojo or you're not. And it's a perfect science, black and white, and there is no work involved. And if you think there is, then you're just not looking at it correctly because this is free tickets to Disneyland on demand all day long. That's all it is. It's so much fun. Um, and anybody can do it. If you can recite the alphabet, you can do it. And my TEDx is at least a thousand words, if not 1500. Yeah. And I can tell you there are not 1500 images. I mean, I don't know how many there are, but right. it's definitely not 1500. It's probably more like I don't know. It doesn't matter because it's irrelevant. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's just so much fun. Um, there's a step we're missing though, which is how do you get this stuff into long-term memory? Now, this is where some people will get overwhelmed and they're right to get overwhelmed because it actually overwhelms me. And that's a good thing. And 
this is how you use this tool to get information into long-term memory as quickly as possible. So we know that memory requires repetition. It just does. There's no mm -hmm. getting away. There's no magic bean that's going to make repetition mm -hmm. go away. This is not a non-issue because why would you memorize anything you didn't want to repeat? It's just not a problem. But you want to reduce the amount of repetitions needed to be able to repeat it flawlessly or close to flawlessly. Yeah. So we need to harness some effects. There's something called the primacy effect, the recency effect, and the serial positioning effect, and the von Restorff effect. So that's a lot, right? Don't worry. You don't need to remember any of that. It's just the stuff that's going on in the background. Yeah. Or better said, it's the names that scientists give to the stuff that's going on in the background. Anyway, what it all means is that Okay, we've got this beautiful memory palace. We've got, let's say, 10 stations that we're going to use, the bedroom, the kitchen, etc. Now, we have all this information, but in order to get it into long-term memory, we have to revisit it forward. We have to revisit it backwards. We have to revisit it from the beginning, or sorry, from the middle, and then go to the beginning, and we have to visit it from the middle and go to the end, and then we have to skip the stations. And the reason, and like, this sounds crazy, but yes, I did recite my TEDx backwards. And yes, I did recite it out of order. But the reason why I did that is because that makes it bulletproof. And there's no way you're going to forget it if you do that three to four times because of primacy effect, recency effect, serial positioning effect. And if your images are done well, then you get what's called von Restorff effect, which is a surprise shock, right? And you give every single image this sort of weird characteristic to it by making it kinesthetic, auditory, visual, emotional, et cetera, rather than just visual, which is for most people not gonna have much effect at all. And then, whoa, you know, you just remember exactly what it was that was there because of this small amount of repetition. And I, again, it is a bit overwhelming even for me, but I submit myself to it because there's another scientific term which is called active recall. And if you don't challenge yourself to recall things actively, you won't form the neurochemical structures in your brain that are involved in memory. So you can also call it self-testing. And that set of patterns that I just uh, shared is essentially self-testing. And I wrote out that talk too, you know, just out of memory as a part of really digging it deep into my, into my memory and my brain. So that's, uh, that's the secret. Yeah, right. That definitely solves the um, question of like, if you get stuck somewhere, if you have already practiced picking it up from basically any point, that's, that's that solved, isn't it? Yes. And um, if you really want to go for gold, you can have every station numbered and then you have images that tell you the numbers. Now in a talk that might not be necessary, but let's say that you want to say, actually that's Proverbs 1813, right? Then you would be well served to know how to memorize numbers as well. That's mm -hmm. a little bit more of an uh, intermediate advanced skill, but some people actually start with number skills uh, for memory. And uh, there's no, the, one of the problems and the challenges with these techniques is that there's no like perfect way to begin other than just begin somewhere, mm -hmm. right? And stick with it. But yeah, there's, um, there's numbered things. And if you have all your stations numbered, that can help you find your place even better. Yeah. But I didn't do that. Uh, and I rarely do. Uh, but if I had some special reason to, then I would memorize the numbers of every station and know what line started with which number, etc. Yeah, yeah. So how do you attach um, more than visual? Because I think I'm aware how to attach visual, but how do you attach, say, auditory and kinesthetic to something in your memory palace? Right, right. So if I wanted to remember that your name was Kate, I would think of the voice of Kate Winslet 
I would think of uh, a kite flying you up in the air and what that would feel like because kite is not kate but it's close right yep. and it's going to help dig that in then the emotions oh well here's here's kate now flying up uh, on a kite and um what does that look like well is it a pink kite is it a blue kite whatever and then i think about the concept okay so kate with a kite well that's kind of like mary poppins um you know it's just a conceptual sort of thing now it has nothing to do with the sound k or whatever and it, I, I might think no no not mary poppins but maybe some reason for mary poppins whatever it doesn't matter i'm just now grinding it in. And then I think of uh, the smells and the tastes. Ooh, well, it's, it smells like it's going to rain. And um, this kite, it tastes kind of weird when I like it. And then I think of space. How big is the kite? How small is the kite? And all this can happen in seconds. And again, Thomas has seen me do it with names and I yeah. do all of that. Oh, I'm almost all of it. Not always all of it, but um, I just run it through. It's, it's very simple. Cave cogs, K-A-V-E-C-O-G-S. And that's how you do it. It used to be called Ars Combinatoria in the old days, which is um, a fancy term for the art of combination because you're literally just turning a combination. It's beautiful. Let's pull out the most important thing here, which is he has likened us to Kate Winslet and Tom Cruise. I, I believe that's... <laughs> yeah, that's either like the highest praise or the biggest insult. Um, but I actually think both of them are uh, extraordinary actors. And one of them is quite an interesting uh, entrepreneur. So consider it praise. <laughs> there's, there's some interesting things you said there. Like, like I said, I didn't understand Memory Palace, but you've just basically given me permission to not start at the front door. I'm always told start at the front door yes. and to like create these rooms in my house that don't exist. But the fact you're saying you literally addressed a question I've always had, which is remembering the Memory Palace is a pain in the ass. But yet, like you said, I shouldn't have to memorize the palace. It should be helping me to recall the, the thing that I'm trying to remember in this case, a speech. So I'm just... I want to reach for the screen and sort of just hug you a little bit, Anthony. So thank you. Thank you for explaining that. Absolutely. So Anthony, are there any habits that we can kind of build, anything that we can do on a somewhat regular basis to build these memory skills? Yeah, you can. There's lots you can do. You know, really the, the challenge is how do you get yourself to do it consistently? Mm. So I sometimes joke that whoever figures that out is not only going to win the Nobel Prize, but they're going to buy all of Sweden um, <laughs> because habit formation is up to the individual. You have to really want it, you know? And so if you want it, then one thing to do is just to time in a calendar when you're going to study and practice, right? So you could just listen to this episode again, schedule when you're going to listen to it again, make some notes about what's being said here, and then schedule a time when you're going to practice. Oh, the alphabet, images for the alphabet. So I'm going to write down A to Z, and I'm going to think, you know, who do I know for A? Who do I know for B? Just go for one association. You get to X. Okay, well, you don't, you don't know a Xavier or whatever. Uh, just skip it. But over time, you can know Xavier's and xylophones and uh, Malcolm X, whatever. Like you can come up with all kinds of associations. And some letters are obviously less important than the others. But most people that I am aware of drive cars. They see license plates all over the place. And instead of, you know, uh, dealing with your dopamine addiction and not using a cell phone while you're driving, you could deal with the boredom by just looking at a license plate and going D-E-X-O-L, uh, Dexter, uh, the series, uh, and 1032. If you know a number system, you can play around with that. Or if you don't know a number system, one is spelt with O. And so, you know, you can go O-N-E and then, okay, so Owen, Noah, and Eric. And, you know, you just kind of play around like this. Incidentally, this is incredibly rewarding brain exercise that beats any app that you would ever uh, press buttons on in the world. And that's one simple way to practice association all day long. Uh, and you can do it every day. Meditation will also give a general memory boost. Uh, 
And that's another exercise that people can do is learn to recite the alphabet backwards, which uh, is a fun way to, to learn the memory palace technique because you build a memory palace that has 26 stations and you just think, okay, so Z, Y, X, what am I going to have? You go from there and it's, it's incredibly rewarding and it's also a great brain exercise and it teaches you a lot about how you can use the technique and how the alphabet can then be extended to other things. Yeah, I think I'm going to play the number plate game mm. um, and yeah, practice by memorizing. It's really interesting. I was, I was talking to my um, I was talking to my dad the other day about. I said, I don't know what happened in 2020. So many people must have bought cars. There's so many cars with the new A plates. We went from Z plates to A plates early last year. And he said to me, oh, "Is there? I've like never noticed a number plate. He just doesn't look at them. It's something I naturally do. So obviously there is different techniques or ways that you could go about just thinking about working on memory. Yes, and you know you'll. The, the more that you pay attention to this stuff, the more you're going to discover that the world is built to help you remember it. You know, it's it, some people thought that the, I mean, this, this is not true. It hasn't borne out scientifically, but in the Renaissance and medieval periods and so forth, people thought that the universe was built from the alphabet, right? And this is part of the evolution of these techniques. They thought that people gave us or whatever, some force in the sky gave us the alphabet so that we might actually connect with our maker. It was a, a portal of connection. And, uh, you know, that's pretty wild stuff. But the, the thing is, is that we, we, are, we are connected to, to information and information can make us feel better. And we see this in the science. And so why this is happening is not necessarily because there's an astral connection to some spirit in the sky, but rather because it's exercising our brain cells. The information, which is encoded in positive and negative electrons, gets exercised. And that naturally, just like going to the gym for your body, creates boosts. And no wonder some people felt enlightened, you know, because neurogenesis is real. This is the actual growth of new structures and cells in your brain, which feels great. Yeah. I mean, the world is just a playground and you just look around and there's letters everywhere. Incidentally, when people are struggling to read, you just look at the sentence and it starts with the, and you think Thomas, you know, Thomas with a hat that is uh, something to do with E equals MC squared, the, and then you're back focused and, you know, you're playing, you're practicing, you're exercising and you're learning the technique as you go. There has been a lot of gold in this episode, Um, a lot of techniques and things to try and learn and and practice. This has been awesome, Anthony. Um, Something that we ask all of our guests, and I'd love to ask you as well, is there some sort of resource or book maybe that's influenced either the way that you communicate or is there something that you could recommend to us to help us with our memory specifically? Yeah, well, communication and memory, those are sort of two different um, topics, but they do come together in one book called Rhetorica Ad Herenium, uh, a book about rhetoric. It's about how to give better speeches, and it has a chapter on the memory palace in it. And it's a, it's a bit of a strange read in a way because it seems to be directed at teachers of memory, at teachers of rhetoric, more than students of it. But uh, we don't know who wrote it. Some people think Cicero wrote it, but it's from 90 BCE. And you can find quite, wow. re- quite readable translations and um, it'll teach you how to give a better speech and it will teach you how to uh, use a memory palace uh, in the same book. Fantastic. A-, a book that sounds like it's written in Latin? Uh, well, you know, the, it's not, I, I think it's actually not clear. Uh, it okay. may have been in Greek. It may have been written by a Roman in Greek, but I, I mean, again, they, they used to think it was by Cicero. Uh, it's really not clear. And incidentally, it, it may be an adaptation of an older book. Um, 
So yeah, if you really get into this memory stuff, there's a, a, a lot of wild and wonderful adventures you can get into uh, about its history, how it evolved and all that sort of stuff. But it is definitely one of the earliest ones that has survived uncorrupted, uh, or at least doesn't seem to have corruption in the uh, in the text. And again, you got to kind of maybe, I, I'm not aware of what each individual would see as a readable translation. So, you know, look for different translations, ones that work for you, but it is well worth reading. And if you need the, you know, like 90 foot overview or whatever, I have a video where I walk through both its rhetorical lessons and uh, its memory lessons on YouTube. So you can okay. search uh, Rhetorica ad Herenium. Awesome. I look forward to watching that. I'll put a link in the, in the show notes. I, I can just tell Anthony how much you love this stuff. And it's, it's fantastic to speak to you. If people do want to find a bit more about you, learn a bit more from you, where can they find you? Well, the home base is magneticmemorymethod.com. And I uh, would love to see you. So yeah, reach out anytime if you have questions or whatnot. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Anthony, for uh, being so sharing, coming on the podcast and being a guest on the Presentation Boss podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to today's show. Head to presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for this episode, all other episodes and other free resources. If you know someone that you'd like to hear from on this show or think that you have something of value to share, email us at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Or we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes. It helps more people find us. Have a great week. I was making sure the fly doesn't land on the microphone.